my name is Frank Lucas. Um, in case you don't know me, I'm the family pastor here at Community Covenant, and uh, my wife Katie and I have the privilege of serving our kids and students each and every week, and on Wednesday evenings as well through youth group, and uh, we couldn't be more privileged and honored to be part of such an amazing community uh, of believers. Um, this morning, we're going to be in the book of Luke, uh, Luke chapter 15. Uh, if you want to follow along, I invite you to turn there. Uh, in your chair Bibles. I realize that I say pew Bibles, but we don't have pews, we have chairs. Um, but if you're in the balcony, it's a pew, so you can turn it to your pew Bible. Yeah, woo! Um, so Luke chapter 15. This is a passage I shared on uh, back in the summer, um, but I'm going to be taking a little bit of a different look at it this morning. If you do not have a Bible, this is our gift to you. Feel free to take it home, and we pray that God's Word um, stirs something inside of you as you strive to live Um, the way he created you, uh, the life that he created you to have. Uh, But you can also follow along on the screen um, or on YouVersion events as well. While you're turning there, uh, coming up in just a couple of short weeks uh, would be our annual student winter retreat. So I just want to share a little bit about that for a moment. This is a trip that we head out on to, uh, we head up to New Hampshire every single winter. And it's probably, uh, I would say arguably, the most defining weekend of the year uh, for our student ministry. Over the years, countless students have either taken a first step or a significant next step in their faith journey on this particular weekend. For many, this is where uh, they would look back and say this was a turning point in their lives. It was a defining moment, if you will. Just this last year, I want to share a little story with you. There was a student who had started coming to youth group on Wednesday evenings a week or two before Christmas, start, uh, before Christmas break. Hadn't been to church in years. It was a girl who was uh, suffering through lots of pain and anger towards God. She had been through a tremendous amount in her short life. We've convinced her to come on the retreat. And she eventually obliged and said, fine, I'll go. And I'm not going to lie to you though, when, when she showed up that Friday afternoon to go, she had a very skeptical, cynical attitude of what was to come. To be honest, I wasn't sure that convincing her to come was actually a good idea at this point. I said, dear God, please, please, please do something in this girl this weekend. And lo and behold, God showed up and did what only God could do. There was this moment on Saturday evening, um, and if you've never been on a student retreat, the Friday night is a lot of fun, but we, we kind of kick off the theme of the weekend, and then on Saturday we have uh, boatloads of fun, and there's tubing and games, but there's speaking and there's worship, and this night the speaker just brought it, and the worship was the most Spirit-filled worship. The, the Spirit of God was as present as present could be, and they were singing this song, and we were worshiping, and... It was the song, Holy Ground, uh, by Passion. And we were at the bridge of this song. It's chains fall, fear bow, here now. Jesus, you change everything. Lives healed, hope found, here now. Jesus, you change everything. It was in that moment... It was in that moment that this young girl found hope, began healing, and the chains of pain and anger and suffering and bitterness and resentment began to break from her. And here we are. This is the only time I'm going to cry today. And here we are, um, just about a year later. In a couple of weeks, we're going to be celebrating baptisms. And she's going to be getting baptized to declare 
Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior over her life. And yeah. And the reason I share this with you this morning is that we love nothing more than stories of real lives changed by the power of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And while the retreat itself doesn't create life change in the same way our gatherings don't create life change or youth group or family ministry, um, we provide opportunities for life change to take place. We provide environments where Jesus Christ can just be present and stir in the hearts of these young people. And and so I mention this because uh, registration for this year's retreat has been open for a little while, but it closes next week, next Monday. And I don't want your student, I don't want your teen... I don't want your neighbor, I don't want your granddaughter or grandson or niece or nephew or whoever it may be, I don't want them to miss out on this opportunity to see their lives changed by the power of Jesus Christ. And and so I want to encourage you to stop by the Connections desk and say, no, I want to find out a little bit more about this because I have someone that's interested uh, in going or I have someone that I've been praying for and I pray for one and I just want them to go and I want them to experience the same thing. Or maybe you're feeling led this morning that you want to help Um, paved the way for a student that maybe couldn't go because of the financial burden, Um, you can stop by the Connections desk as well. So there we go. Get that out of the way. Now we can dive in. So here we go. Last week, we started a new series called Kingdom Come. And over the coming weeks, what we're doing is we're taking a look at some of the parables Jesus used to share with with us what the kingdom of heaven is, um, is like. And through these teachings of Jesus about the kingdom, he's inviting us to live a whole new way of life. And this week we're going to take a look at how God's inviting us to live. He's inviting us to live in a kingdom that is full of grace. This kingdom is not a reality to be perceived outside of you, but rather to be experienced within you and through you. Not someday, but rather today. And it's in this grace that fuels our worship of God as we take comfort in being His creation. So let's dive right in. Luke chapter 15. Uh, You can follow along on the screen or in the Bibles on your chairs. We're going to start right at the top real quick. Verse 1, it says this, Tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came to listen to Jesus teach. This made the Pharisees and teachers of the religious law complain that He was associating with such sinful people and even eating with them. So here we have, we have two groups of people. We have the tax collectors and sinners. I'm not saying that's you. I'm just going this way. Um, And then we have the Pharisees and we have the teachers of the law on this side. You chose not really a better seat, but that's okay. All right. So we have these two groups of people, polar opposites. These classes or groups of people never had and never would have intentions of associating with one another. And the Pharisees, this group over here, they were upset with Jesus for spending time with this group of people, with the sinners and the tax collectors. And they're they're aggravated, they're grumbling, one of the translations says. So Jesus responds to them by saying, I'm going to tell you a story. And in fact, he tells three. And he tells three parables, familiar parables. The story of the lost sheep, the story of the lost coin, and then the story of the lost son that we sometimes refer to as the prodigal son. These three parables were Jesus' answer to the question of the Pharisees saying, what on earth are you doing, guy? What are you doing associating with these people? And to the Pharisees, Jesus, just by eating with these tax collectors and sinners, in their minds is compromising religion at its very fundamental level. 
He's compromising their very way of life. He's lightening sin. He's saying, "Eh, it's really not that big of a deal. He's treating sin lightly. And here's the thing. It's important to note that it's super easy for us when we read this passage of Scripture that for some may be familiar, that we sometimes overlook who Jesus is actually speaking to. It's very easy for us to overlook. We often read or hear this and assume that Jesus is speaking to a group of sinners and tax collectors. We think that Jesus is speaking over here. But in all actual reality, this passage of Scripture, these three parables are in response to the Pharisees. He's speaking to this group of people over here, but you can listen too. Okay? But what I find even more interesting in that is that Luke, the author of the Gospel of Luke, who's recounting uh, the life, uh, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ, he's not writing to this group. Luke is writing to this group, to the least, the last, and the lost. So here we have this chapter. In this one chapter, and depending on which way you look at it, whether you look at it from vantage point A or vantage point B, can take on two entirely different meanings. So here we go, the parable of the lost sheep. I'm not going to go through and read all the text. We're going to sum it up real quick. There's a shepherd. He has 100 sheep. He loses one. He goes out all night, all day, all night, all day in searching for the sheep. He finally finds it. He throws it on his shoulders. He brings it home. And when he brings it home, what happens? He says in verse 6 that there's going to be a celebration because what was lost was found. It makes sense. Are you guys following along? Yes. Then we have the second parable, the lost coin. There's a lady who has a coin on her table. She knocks it off. Uh, she misplaces it. Something happens to it. She can't find it. So she goes through her house frantically in search of this lost coin. She's sweeping and turning over the couch cushions, what have you. I didn't think they had them back then, but whatever. She eventually finds the lost coin. And what does she do in verse 9? She celebrates with her friends. Again, no surprise. What was lost was once found. She celebra- uh, celebrates. But that brings us to the parable of the lost son. This particular parable, this story, goes into far greater detail than the previous two. I wonder why that is. There's a father. He has two sons. One of the sons is tired of working at home. He asks his father for his share of the inheritance. So his father gives it to him. He takes his inheritance, he sells it, and he takes the money, and he goes off to a foreign country, to a distant land, and he lives a reckless lifestyle. Reckless is probably a nice way of putting it, but he, he spends his, his inheritance on some awful, uh, very ungodly things. He ends up losing everything he has, ends up living on the streets. He's at the bottom of the bottom. He's living uh, it, it, the worst possible way you could possibly imagine. And one day, he, he has this epiphany, if you will. He realizes that even the servants in my father's homestead are living better than I am. He realizes this while, as a young Jewish man, he would be eating with the swine, with the pigs. Not very kosher. And he says, man, i just I got to go back home. So he musters up the courage to make this journey home. And that's where we're going to pick up the story this morning. So Luke chapter 15, verse 20. It says this, So he returned home to his father, the young son. And while he was still a long way off, His father saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son, embraced him, and kissed him. Now mind you, this is Jesus telling a story 
to the Pharisees, not to the sinners and the tax collectors. Jesus is telling a story now specifically to the Pharisees. And I imagine in this moment that Jesus pauses right here. You know, he's telling the story and he kind of, he's looking, he's reading the crowd. Are they putting two and two together? You see, Pharisees, when I sit and I eat with the sinners and the tax collectors, here's what I'm doing. I'm running towards them. I'm pursuing them. They were lost and I'm finding them. I'm coming after them. The Son of God, God is here. God is pursuing the least, the last, and the lost. Do you get it, Pharisees? And blank stares come back his way. The Pharisees, probably sitting there dumbfounded, can't understand why the Father would pick up his robe and run. They completely missed the point of the message. A dignified man would not run in this culture. He would never run after his son. That's foolishness. They get hung up on a detail, and Jesus is saying, no, 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 we're talking kingdom. We're talking kingdom here. Try to stay with me. So the story continues on, and it picks up in verse 21, and this is what he says. His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against both heaven and you, and I'm no longer worthy of being called your son. But his father said to the servants, Quick, bring the finest robe in the house and put it on him. Get a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf we've been fattening. We must celebrate with a feast. For this son of mine was dead and is now returned to life. He was lost, but now he is found. So the party began. Now I imagine in this moment here, the Pharisees, uh, Jesus paused again to see if the Pharisees were, were maybe tracking along. No one picked up on that? Tracking? All right. The, to see if the Pharisees were tracking. Uh, but here's the thing. We know, we know that they weren't. We know that they weren't because Jesus continued on in His story. And if you're paying attention, the first two stories, they ended with a celebration. What was lost was found, and there was a celebration. In the lost sheep, he found it, celebrate. Lost coin, she found it, celebrate. Lost son, found, celebrate. But for some reason, Jesus felt the need to go on a little bit further in this text, in this story. He was going deeper. So what exactly was Jesus trying to uncover? What was Jesus trying to uncover here? I think he's trying to ask the Pharisees a question in response to their rebuke of him. Jesus asking, why, why are your hearts so hard? Why are your hearts so hard? Why can't you show love? Why can't you show compassion? Where, where is your grace? So what Jesus does is He chooses to take a more direct approach. I'm not sure, and I don't know, I wasn't there, but I, I imagine Jesus told these three parables and He was planning on stopping there, but when He saw the blank stares from the Pharisees, He said, alright, I need to keep going. You ever do that? You try to make an example and someone doesn't get it, so you try again, they don't get it, and you just, alright, fine, we'll try a third one. I hope that this is it, this is all I got. And, and so Jesus continues on, but enter the scene now, another character. The elder brother. The elder brother. Verse 25. Meanwhile, the older son was in the fields working. When he returned home, he heard music and dancing in the house, and he asked one of the servants 
What is going on? Your brother's back, he was told. And your father has killed the fattened calf. We're celebrating because of his safe return. The older brother was angry. He wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. But he replied, all these years I've slaved for you and never once refused to do a single thing you told me to. What a, what a picture of a broken relationship between father and son. I've slaved for you. That's not father-son. That's servant-master. I've never... I've done everything you've commanded me. That's not father-son. That's servant-master. And in all the time, you never gave me even one young goat for a feast with my friends. Yet when this son of your, this son of yours, he's not even your brother. Wait a second. This father had two sons. They would have been brothers. But here he, he's not even his brother. This son of yours. This son of yours. You ever do that with your kids, maybe? Right? I know um, sometimes our kids misbehave. I may be the only one. Um, but I'll look at my wife and I'll be like, yeah, your son. And she's like, well, time out. <laughs> um, your son too. He's pouting because he gets that from you, right? Like, um, obviously, right? So, um, but here's, like he, this is a broken, broken man with a broken view of family. This son of, where am I? This son of yours comes back after squandering your money on prostitutes, you celebrate by killing the fattened calf. So his father says to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me, and everything I have is yours. We had to celebrate this happy day, for your brother was dead and has come back to life. He was lost, but now he's found. And that's where the story ends. And we're kind of left hanging on what happens with the older brother. These first two parables, they're about love. The lost sheep and the lost coin. And the first half of this parable, they're about love. They're about reckless love, reckless pursuit. And the first half of this parable, like I said, is about love as well. But this, this second half is about so much more than love. It's really about grace. Jesus is inviting us to live an entirely new way of life. A life filled with love and with compassion, yes, but one that is also filled with an abundance of grace for the other. And it is impossible for us to experience kingdom living, the life that Christ created for us at the very beginning of time, without having a heart full of grace. And here's the thing, this is where the elder brother falls way short. This is where the Pharisees fall way short. And being vulnerable and open and honest with you, this is where I know for me, I time to time fall very short. As a young man, I remember this parable, uh, parable and I had a tremendous amount of empathy uh, for the older brother. In my mind, he was right. The younger brother uh, was wrong. He wasted everything. He blew it. He had his chance. He messed it up, and that's all there was to it. It was black and white. It was clear as day. He was entitled, and I didn't see anything wrong with that. And there are moments in my life where I would look at this passage and I would say, yep, I totally empathize with the older brother here. But perhaps, 
perhaps there's more to it than that. Perhaps it's not quite so simple. There's a question I want to ask you, and it's not meant to be an indictment, but rather... um, but rather a question I want to ask for you to really ponder. When you're confronted by sin, is your gut reaction one of disgust or is it one of compassion? When you are confronted by sin, by ugly, ugly sin, whether in your own life or the life of someone else, is your gut reaction one of disgust or one of compassion? What happens when you relate to God in this way? What happens when we relate to God the Father in the same way the elder brother relates to his father in the parable? There's this giant chasm that is created between us and who we were created to be. There's this giant chasm between us and and the purpose of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. But here's the thing. What's comforting to know is that Jesus came not just for the sinner and the tax collector, but He also came for the Pharisee and the teacher of the law. Jesus came not just for the younger brother, but He came for the older brother as well. He came for the older brother as well. No matter what side you may find yourself on this morning, that is a beautiful picture of grace. That there is love, that there is compassion, and that there is grace enough for you. That His grace is sufficient enough for you. And so no matter where you find yourself this morning, if you find yourself as the younger son, um, I just want you to take comfort in knowing that God is pursuing you recklessly and is going to search after you and He's going to do it tirelessly and recklessly until He finds you and then there's going to be a celebration. And that's awesome. Sit back and listen and maybe you'll pull something from this. But if that is not you and you find yourself as the older brother this morning, again, I'm not looking at you. I'm, right? If you find yourself as the older brother this morning, I pray that you just lean in and over the next couple of moments you, you hear something and that God stirs something in your heart this morning. So let's take a quick look at this passage and how the Father shows grace towards the elder son. Number one is this, grace pursues. Grace pursues. In verse 28 it says, the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out. He wouldn't join in the celebration. You see, just yesterday, I had a different illustration for this, but something came up yesterday that I want to share. Just yesterday, we were celebrating my daughter Addison's fifth birthday, and we had a wonderful afternoon. There was cake, and there was presents, and presents that I wouldn't have picked out, but Mimi and Papa thought it was a good idea, so um, she got a drum set. I'm like, I'm literally finishing a sermon. Like, this is the worst timing ever, right? And, and so she has this, um, this drum set, and Frankie, oh man, he had his eye on this drum set. All right, Frankie's my three-year-old. And, uh, and so he sees it, and he's, he, his eyes are fixed. Like, oh, that's mine. And they're like, no, it's not. <laughs> He's like, oh, no, that's mine. I'm going to play that. And, and so we get it all set up, and I'm sitting there, and, and we tell Frankie that Addison, this is a true story, Addison, it's her birthday, and she gets to play with it. Uh, Frankie was not happy. Um, so what did Frankie do? Three year old Frankie, he starts throwing this tantrum. No, 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 no. I deserve to play with it. I'm the one that likes drums. I sit with dad. I watch Instagram videos of drums all the time. Blah, 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 blah. And he starts screaming and wailing and throws this huge tantrum. And then he storms off. I don't know where he gets that pouting from, but he storms off into the other room. 
You can make an assumption if you'd like. But he storms off into the other room. And that's it. The day is ruined, right? Like we had this beautiful moment, and then all of a sudden, it's garbage. Kate, she catches my eye, and she looks at me, and I know what that eye means. i got to solve this problem. So what happens? I got up, and I went after him. We didn't send Emma. I didn't send her older sibling. Uh, his older sibling. I didn't send Ava. In the same way, the father didn't send the younger brother. I didn't send someone else. I didn't send grandma or grandpa out there. No, the father doesn't send a servant to get the older brother. I didn't scream from across the room like I usually do. Francis, get in here! Like, I didn't play the dad card. Like, I'm the father, you're the son. I do that way too often. Um, but no, I didn't do that. I got up and I pursued my son. You see, grace pursues. In the same way the father pursues, he gets up and he goes himself. And this is a, a picture of God coming to save both sinners and tax collectors and Pharisees and teachers of the law. Grace pursues even when it's undeserved. Frankie was wrong in that moment, but yet as a father, I pursued him. Number two, grace pleads. Grace pleads. The end of that verse 28, it says the older brother was angry and wouldn't go in. His father came out and begged him. It begged him. I believe this word begged was chosen by Jesus so specifically. So carefully crafted. Last week there was a tremendous line from Pastor Brandon's message that ties into this nicely. It says, when it comes to your life, Jesus cares much more about who you are becoming more than what you were doing. The Father had every right to come out and command that you get back in there, you're ruining the day, you sit in that seat and you behave and you be excited for your little sister, your older sister. You be happy. He had every right to do this. Every right to do this. But that's not what the Father does. That's not what the Father does. That's not what He does because He cares more about where your heart is at than what your hands and feet are actually doing. Because the Father knows that if your heart is in the right spot, your hands and your feet are going to follow suit accordingly. So He doesn't command Him even though He could. He pleads with Him. He begs Him, Son, Son, where your heart is, when your heart is right, your hands and feet will follow suit. Grace pleads. It doesn't demand or command. And the third thing we can pull from this story is that grace loves. Is that grace loves. I typically don't share a lot of Greek or Hebrew when I'm, when I'm sharing a, a teaching or a message, uh, whether it's up here or with students, uh, occasionally. Um, but I do look at it quite a bit when I'm preparing. And there's something I want to share with you that I think is super important here. Throughout this entire passage, the word son or the word sons is mentioned a total of ten times, more or less depending on the translation uh, that you were reading. But in this instance, it's actually ten times. Nine out of the ten times, the word is translated, uh, translated uh, as huios. It's a Greek word, and it's very formal. A son, used to describe one who depends on another. Very matter of fact, this is my offspring. That's your son. Very matter of fact, huios. But that's not the word that's used here. The word that's used here is the Greek word technon, and it's, it's more tender. It's more loving. It's more caring. Child. 
my dearest baby boy. It's the name transferred by the intimate and reciprocal relationships formed between men by the bonds of love, friendship, trust, just as between parents and their children. You see, the father's not being condescending to him when he says, look, dear son. He's saying, look, my sweetest, dearest baby boy. You can visualize the tears streaming down his face as he says, I remember the morning you were born. I remember that moment that I held you in my hands for the very first time. I remember when I taught you to walk and to run and to jump. I remember when we played together. And I remember how much joy we had working in our fields together. What happened? What happened to my dear, sweet baby boy? My dear, sweet baby boy, don't you want our family to be whole again? You see, grace pursues even when it's undeserved. Grace pleads. It doesn't demand. And grace loves. Loves. It doesn't rebuke. And lastly, grace, it gives freely. His father said to him, Look, dear son, you have always stayed by me and everything I have is yours. There is a huge inheritance coming. There's a seat at the table for you, whether you're the younger brother or whether you're the older brother. And the only condition is that there is no condition. There's nothing that you can do to earn it. Look, my dearest sweet baby boy, everything, everything I have is yours. And I freely give it to you. There is nothing that you could ever do to possibly earn this gift. Nothing. So whether this morning you find yourself as the, the younger son or you find yourself as the older brother, I want you to know that there, there is room. There is a, a seat at the table that has been prepared for you. And Jesus is inviting you this morning to live in the kingdom of heaven, in a kingdom that is full of grace. A kingdom where grace pursues. A kingdom where grace pleads. A, cring, a kingdom where grace uh, loves. And a kingdom where grace gives freely. There's nothing you can do to earn it. For me, I find one of the greatest ways to be reminded of God's grace in our lives is through song. It's through worship. Through singing. Singing believe it or not, is mentioned in the Scriptures more than 400 times. 400 times. And throughout Scripture, we're commanded to pray, to study, to fast, and to practice other spiritual disciplines as well. But we are also commanded to sing. In fact, more than 50 times we're commanded to sing. And here's what happens is God has wired us in such a way that when then when words and melody are combined, that there's something that stirs inside of us. And when we engage in worship through song, we're reminded of something. We're reminded of God's love. We're reminded of His goodness. His mercy. His forgiveness. 
His majesty. And most of all this morning, we're reminded of His grace and that there's nothing that we could ever do to deserve it. So this morning, I'd like to close uh, with a, with a um, passage of Scripture that Paul wrote to the church in Colossae. And I'm going to invite you to just close your eyes for a moment to bow your heads. Let this be our prayer this morning. Paul says, Let the message about Christ in all its richness fill your lives. Teach and counsel each other with all the wisdom He gives. Sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs to God with thankful hearts. And whatever you do or say, do it as a representative of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks through Him to God the Father. Amen.